Um, in in uh, Victor Hugo's 19, or 1862 novel, uh, Les Miserables, a French novel, um, the, the, which you may know if you're less cultured uh, as I was before I got married, my wife introduced me to this, uh, then you might know it as Les Miserables. Uh, that's what it looks like. Um, the, uh, the, the main character is named Jean Valjean. And he's, uh, he, he, at the beginning of the book, he's, he's imprisoned um, for stealing bread to, to feed his, uh, his sister's children um, to save them from starvation. He's in prison for this. Um, he, spends, he ends up spending, spending 19 years in prison. And he's, when he's released, um, after 19 years, he's, he comes out a broken man. Right, he's broken, he has nothing. The life that he, he's, uh, he had before is gone. He has nothing to his name. Um, and, and he's just released. And he ends up at the door, at the door uh, knocking on the door of a bishop in the town, a priest. And, uh, and so he knocks on the door and, and the bishop sees him and actually welcomes him in and feeds him and says, hey, you can, gives him clothes, says, hey, you can stay here um, for the night. Gives him a place to stay. When they wake up in the morning, um, the bishop and his family uh, realize that, that Valjean is gone uh, and, and he has taken with him all of their silverware, all of their, their silver, uh, you know, forks and spoons and knives um, that, were, that were valuable he could sell. Um, and and there, this causes an uproar, obviously, in the household. And, uh, and while they're talking about this, there's a knock at the door. And there's some policemen, and they have Valjean. They've, they've apprehended him. And they say, we, we caught this man. He looked like he was fleeing. He obviously was a poor, like, ex-convict. Uh, he was fleeing. Um, we, we searched him. He had the silver on him. Um, and and, uh, and, and the, the priest interrupted and said, oh, did he tell you that, that I gave it to him? Because I did, and, and Valjean, it's good, it's good to see you. I, I actually, I gave you the silver, but you forgot to take the, the silver candlesticks. They're the most valuable thing. Here, these, these two silver candlesticks are also yours. You forgot them. Take them as well. And the police say, wait, so, so what he said was, and, and the, the bishop says, oh, did he tell you that a kind old priest who, uh, who, who he spent the night with gave it to him? And he said, yeah. Said, no, that's true. That's, that's what happened. This is a misunderstanding. You guys can go. Valjean is you know, awestruck, he's speechless, he, he's, uh, he's flabbergasted at this, uh, this act of kindness and what's happening. Um, and and the, the, the bishop tells the, pol- the policeman they can leave. And the end of that chapter says this, Jean Valjean was like a man on the point of fainting. The bishop drew near to him and said in a low voice, do not forget, never forget that you have promised to use this money in becoming an honest man. Jean Valjean, who had no recollection of ever having promised anything, remained speechless. The bishop had emphasized the words that when he uttered them, he resumed with solemnity. Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil, but to good. It is your soul that I buy from you. I withdraw it from black thoughts and the spirit of perdition, and I give it to God. This moment, this moment changed Valjean. Right, this, this is the, the moment of grace that, that sets in motion the whole rest of the novel, right? And he, he does, he becomes an honest man from this act of sheer grace. And I think the, the, the bishop um, in the story embodies much of what Jesus is describing in this passage. If you look at Luke 6, verse, verse 37, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, 
it will be measured back to you. Let's pray, uh, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Father, um, thank you for, for your word. Thank you for, um, thank you for telling us what always what we need to hear. Um, Holy Spirit, we, we want to submit to you. We want to submit to whatever you would like to say to us. And so would you please speak? Would you challenge us where we need it? Would you encourage us where we need it? Would you lift us up where we need it? Would you knock us down where we need it? Whatever we need, Father, please, please do it in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. I was listening to a podcast a little while ago from a, a prominent marriage uh, therapist, a marriage counselor, uh, and, and she, and it just kind of in passing, she said this, but I, I, I just stopped and I had to write it down because it just seems so uh, profound to me. She said, in, in you know, close interpersonal relationships, there, there's really only three moves. There's three relational movements. There's, you can see them as like a punch, like a turning away, or a, or a reaching out. So there's a, the first is, is like a punch, a lashing out. There's a, it's the response of a hatred. This is when um, in, a, in a conversation, you say something uh, that mean, you're meaning to hurt the other person, right? You, you bring up that thing that you know is gonna get under their skin. Um, you say that thing you know is gonna really bother them. Um, you, you, you want them um, to hurt for what, whatever the conflict is you're in. So that's the first, first relational move. The second relational move um, is, is to withdraw, to turn away, right? Um, and it's to say, to go inward, right? Just to refuse to engage. Um, I think this can be driven by hatred. I think it can also be driven by apathy, right? which is, I think, worse than hatred. In hatred, at least you care about what happens to the other person. You want them to hurt. In apathy, you just say, I don't, I don't care what happens or doesn't happen to you, right? You just withdraw. You can turn away. The third relational move um, is to reach out, right? And to reach out with open hands, it's to, to reach out from your vulnerability, right? So, so you, you can, and I think this is the, the move of love, right? This is the move of love is, is that you reach out, you open your heart and you reach out from your vulnerability. So if my wife, it just, and this is, it can be in, in huge conflicts, or it can also be in little things, right? If my wife says, Lawson, will you take out the trash? Um, I can say, why don't you ever take out the trash, right? And that's the hit. Um, I can say, I can just look at her and turn away and walk away, right? Not, not engage. It's a second remove. Um, or I can say, babe, I would love to. I actually just told our son I would go and help him with his schoolwork. Um, would you mind if I did that first and then come back and did the trash? You know, and, and then she might say, oh, well, I'll help him with the schoolwork. You can do the trash or No, yeah, that's fine. You can do it later, right? But it's something, but, but we've connected in that moment, right? I've said, I have stressors on my time. I don't know what I should do. And, and I've reached out to her and she has, uh, she, we've connected, these are the three, uh, three relational moves. And I, I, think, I think what Jesus is calling us to in this passage is the third move, right? The, the move of love. I think Jesus is calling us to be open-hearted people. I think he's calling us to be open-hearted people. What does he say? Do not judge. Don't be judgmental. Do not condemn. Don't write people off. Don't write people off. Forgive. Don't be quick to forgive. Don't withhold forgiveness from anyone. Give generously. Right? Generously give of yourself, of your time, of your money, of your stuff. Right? Give. Be generous. Have an open heart toward those around you. And this, this comes from, it flows out of, all right, this is a, a, a whole sermon, right, that Luke is 
describing here in last week, if you look up at verse 36, be merciful. It says, just as your father also is merciful. So we're to do these things and be this, be this way. Uh, this is, these are ways that we are merciful to people, right? That, what does that mean? Well, it means don't judge them. It don't means don't condemn them. It means forgive them. It means give and be generous to them. If you notice um, the, the, the consequences of this, right? Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned, right? Forgive and you will be forgiven. Now, what's that saying? The kind of people who are not judgmental will not be judged. The kind of people who don't condemn will not be condemned. The kind of people who forgive will be forgiven. And I think this works out in life, doesn't it? Like, isn't this true that who are you most likely to be generous to? Well, those who you see as being generous to others, right? If you're a very forgiving person, man, you're likely to be forgiven in return. But I think there's more than that to it here because even just right before this, back in 35, love your enemies, do what is good and lend, expecting nothing in return, so you're not gonna get anything from your enemies, then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the most high. God will reward you. And then he goes into, right? So I think this is saying, the, pe- the kind of people who don't judge, God won't judge. You don't condemn, God won't condemn. Now, is that saying then, and we have to say this because of our hearts, that you can earn God's forgiveness. You're like, I want to be forgiven, so I guess I'll forgive other people. No, of course not. That would be against the Bible. That would be against the rest of the scripture. Of course not. What is this saying though? I think this is saying those who have God as their father, they're, not, they're gonna not be judgmental people. They're not gonna condemn. They're gonna forgive. They're gonna be generous. This is who God's making them to be. And the same, opposite. Those, those who, will, who refuse right, to open their hearts will not experience an open heart from the Lord at the end. I think Jesus was like this, wasn't he? I mean, we've already seen in, in the Gospel of Luke who was attracted to Jesus, who, who drew near to him. It was the morally reprehensible people. It was the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes, right? They were the ones who were drawn to him. Isn't it interesting that the judge of the universe was not judgmental? Right, the one who will offer the judgment, like the condemnation in the end. Right, depart from me, I never knew you. He didn't condemn people. What did he do? He forgave. He was generous. It's, it's hard to, to understand this, I think, until you see it worked out in, in, in person. I, and maybe you know someone, maybe you know someone like this that you can think of as a reference point. Um, when, when I think, I think of, I think of Maggie. Uh, some of you know Maggie, who's a teacher at the high school. She's a member here at the church. Um, she, she, I have seen her in action up at the high school because I've gone up and helped in the classroom before. And she is, uh, she loves her students, she loves them and they love her. And, and it, it, this may surprise you, but at the high school, there's some students there who do not know the Lord, right? Who are not living for him, who are not making good choices with their lives. But, but you know what? She loves these students and they love her. 
And it's such a, it's, it's such a, uh, an amazing thing to see because they come to, whether it's the LGBTQ students, whether it's the, uh, the, the football players, whether it's the, you know, the big burly mullet guys with the trucks, you know, like you, you, I've watched her in the hallway. They'll come up to her and they'll just tell her something. They'll tell her something about their lives. They'll, and she'll, she'll pray for them right there. Um, they come into her classroom and they sit and they love, and she tells them, right? She's not soft peddling anything. She tells them, this is not what Jesus has for you. You need the Lord. Let me pray for you. Like she, she, is, she is strong on truth, but she loves them so much. And they're drawn to her. Why is that? She's not judgmental. She doesn't condemn them. And so they're there and they hear. And this is how Jesus was. And I see Jesus in her. What, what do we need then? What do we, what do we need to be like This. Right? If, if this is what Jesus is calling us to, to be open-hearted people, what, what do we need then to do that? Look at verse 39. He also told them a parable. Can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? Okay, this is a, a pretty, simple, uh, pretty simple analogy, right? Picture a, a blind person grabbing the hand of another blind person and saying, follow me, I know where to go, and walking straight into a sinkhole. You can laugh. I think it was funny. I mean, Jesus is like, like blind people, can we laugh about them falling into a hole? Yeah, it's hypothetical. Like he didn't, that didn't really happen. Uh, but what's he saying? What's he saying? He's saying, who are you following? Who are you following? Are you following someone who's blind? Because if you are, you're both gonna fall into a pit. I, I think the, the, uh, the, ethos of our world, right? The, our culture, our world, often our churches are, are polar opposites of this ethic that Jesus is laying out. Right? And I wonder who you're listening to. Who are you following? Right? What, what talk radio station is on in your car on the way to work? What YouTube channel do you most often listen to? What podcast is your favorite? What teacher do you, do you uh, most respect or ministry do you most respect and learn from? What, what uh, cable news station is on in your living room? Like, who are you following? And are they leading you to be more judgmental or less judgmental? Are they leading you to judge and condemn Democrats? Are they leading you to judge and condemn Republicans? Are they leading you to judge and condemn liberal Christians or conservative Christians? Are, are they leading you to, to uh, judge and condemn and hate Black Lives Matter activists? Are they leading you to judge or condemn or hate white supremacists? You might say, man, I'm not really into the political stuff. My students, you might say, like, but do you know what a lot, of, a lot of TikTok is, a lot of humor is, a lot of YouTube is right now? Right? It, what is it? It's mocking people. It's making fun of people. And what is that? That's showing you who to judge and how. Saying they're ridiculous. They're a fool. Let's laugh at them and mock them and write them off. But our world is full of these voices and who are you following? Who are you following? And it's important because of the next verse, verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. 
Discipleship was uh, very personal. It was very interactive, right? The disciples didn't sit in a class and get lectured to by Jesus. They followed him. They lived with him. They slept where he slept and went where he went and did ministry like he did it and ate where he ate, right? They, they put on his life. They, they modeled their lives after his. And what it says is every, uh, everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. So, Whoever the, the strongest voice is in your life, whoever you are following most closely, right? that's who you become. That's the question here. Who are you becoming? We would like to think that we're self-sufficient. Like, I don't follow anyone. I make my own way. I make my own way. No, 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 you don't. Like, that's, that's not how we're wired. We're wired to, to admire and imitate and see. And right? we, we're moving toward people and away from, we're, we're constantly changing in one way or another. Who are you following? Who are you becoming? Are you becoming a more judgmental person towards certain groups of people or less? And is, and I think what Jesus says is follow me, right? Jesus says you gotta follow me. Jesus, his voice has to be the voice that we hear. He has to be the person we most respect and most care about. We have to know he's the smartest person in the universe. Do you know that? There's no one smarter than Jesus, right? He knows everything, right? He has to be the one that we follow, the, the, the words and the life that we model ourselves after has to be him, right? And if I looked at your screen time right now, I think I could say confidently, the most formative thing in your life is your phone, right? Mine too, I'm, I'm, I'm not uh, higher than you, right? Uh, how, how many hours a day do we spend on our phone? Six hours a day, right? I, I, like we could, you can come show me your screen time after. Uh, that's the most formative thing in our lives. It's probably social media. And how is that forming us? Who are we following and who are we becoming? And we, we need to follow Jesus, <laughs> We need to follow him. What would it mean for us to follow Jesus in these things? What would it look like if in your family or in your household, if you live with roommates or your family, what if you just said, I'm, I'm never gonna judge my family again? If you said, I'm, I'm never gonna be judgmental toward my spouse. I'm not gonna condemn them. I'm gonna forgive them. What, what if you said, I'm never gonna judge my kids again? You're like, but you have to judge. Well, no, you, how, can you, how, how can you discipline your kids with a an, with an non-judgmental, non-condemning spirit? Isn't that what we need to do? What, what, kids, what if you'd never, what if you said, I'm not gonna judge my parents? I remember being a teenager. I remember thinking, man, my, whew, my, my parents, they made wrong decisions. They're right there. Just... <laughs> So call them out, right? They made, wrong, they made wrong decisions, right? I think they're wrong. What, curfew? What if, I just, what, if, what if all the teenagers in here said, hey, I'm not gonna judge my parents ever again. You know what, if they make, if they make a wrong decision, you know what I'm gonna do? Forgive them. I'm gonna give them grace and I'm gonna give to them. I'm gonna try to be generous to them. How would that change your family? What would your workplace be like if you said, I'm not gonna judge anyone in my workplace anymore. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna gossip. I, everyone who's wronged me here in this, my office, I forgive them. They're forgiven. I, I'm gonna be generous toward them. 
I'm gonna give, what, what do they need? How can I help them? What about, what about our church? What, what, what if our church was a place? Right, churches aren't known for being non-judgmental places. Right? What if our church was a place where you could come and people just felt safe here and they just said, they could just say, hey, my marriage is struggling. Like, I'm on, we're, on a, we're hanging on by a thread. I, I know it looks good on the outside, but it's not good. I'm addicted to this, right? I can't get free. I'm so ashamed. And what if people could, could come and they felt safe because they knew we weren't going to judge them. We were going to forgive them. We were going to help them. Well, how, how, would, how would this look? What, what old people, what do old people do? They judge young people. Oh, young people, they can't, they don't work hard and they're entitled and they can't raise their kids right and blah, 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 right? Grumpy. <laughs> Sorry, no offense, old people. <laughs> All the old people were in the first service. I don't see any old people here, so that's good. Uh, right, old people, what, what if you said, what if you said, hey, I'm gonna follow Jesus, I'm not gonna be judgmental, I'm never gonna judge a young person again. I'm not gonna be judgmental toward young people. And say, I'm gonna forgive them. I'm gonna be generous, I'm gonna give, what do they need? How can I help them? Young people, what do, we, what do young people do, right? Judge old people. Oh, they got it wrong. Oh, they don't even understand. They're so codger, right? Like, it's the same thing. And what if young people said, I'm never gonna judge an old person again. I'm, I'm just gonna be gracious. Have they gotten it wrong? Uh, yes, <laughs> yes. And you know what I'm gonna do for that? Forgive them. I'm gonna forgive them and I'm gonna be generous to them. What are they, how can I help them? What do they need? Maybe old people and young people could come together and learn something from one another. I'll take that as a sign from the Lord. He wants that. <laughs> right? It, it, wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't that be great? What, what would our interaction look like online if we said, I'm not gonna judge anyone on Twitter? Like, you know, I have to get off Twitter. That wouldn't even make sense. Like, yeah, I think that's right, right? It's just all judgment. Like, there, there's, uh, what, what, how could we do this? What if we did this? What if we decided that? Because it is a command, isn't it? Don't judge. Don't judge anyone ever again. Don't condemn. Don't withhold forgiveness. And I think this is so hard because it requires us to release control. It requires us to open our hands because what are we, what are we trying to do so often with our, our judgment, with our condemnation, with our withholding forgiveness? We're trying, we're trying to, to, to manipulate people. We're trying to say, hey, my son is not living up to his potential. He's not living up to what God has called him to. He's not living a life I approve of. And so by my judgment, by my condemnation, by my not forgiving him, by, by my not giving him the things he needs, I'm gonna, he's gonna see. He'll, his eyes will be open. He'll see, he'll start, he'll change. And one, how's that working for you? Does that help? Is that good? Your relationship's like, yeah, our relationship's great. It's, he's really, he sees my judgment and he just responds with joy, right? No, it never works, first of all. But second, right, can, can you change a person? No. And so what if, what if we said, I'm gonna obey Jesus and I'm gonna open my hands and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna release trying to control this person and I'm gonna put them put this person into a capable hands of the only one who can change them, who is the Lord.
He said, I'm, I'm just not gonna be judgmental anymore. I'm just gonna forgive them for everything they've done. I'm just gonna love them. I'm just gonna be generous to them. And I'm gonna trust the Lord. And you might say at this point, Lawson, that's impossible. That's impossible. And you say, last week it was love your enemies. And this week it's like piling on, right? And don't judge and don't condemn and forgive and give, right? And I would say, first of all, um, it's not me piling on. This is Jesus's words. And so, you know, if you have a problem, then you can go talk with him about that. Uh, but, but secondly, I would say, this is impossible. I agree with you. This is impossible on our own. <laughs> this is humanly impossible to do. How can we have such an open heart? Won't, it, won't we get hurt? What would happen what, if we release control? What chaos might ensue? Of course it's impossible, and that's why we need divine intervention. And we need the gospel of grace. Because the gospel of grace is, is, is up in verse 35, the end of verse 35. I, this hit me this week. For, for he, God, the most high, is gracious to who? The ungrateful and the evil. He's kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And we read that and we go, yeah, that's great. He's unkind to all those ungrateful and evil people out there. That's wonderful. Um, but, but that's not what the gospel says. Right? The, the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the core of our faith. Right? This isn't like some peripheral thing that you haven't heard. This is like it. This is what makes Christianity Christianity is that you are so bad. Right? You are so ungrateful. You are so evil. I am so ungrateful. I am so evil that the only way for you or I to be saved was if the Son of God, the Holy One who made everything, the one who holds everything together by his, his word, the most beautiful one, the most worthy one, for him to come and become a man and to humble himself and be murdered on a cross. The depth of your evil is such that that was the only remedy you know that about me. I'm that bad. I know that about you. You're that bad. And this is this this gospel is what we need. It's what we need. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer explains it this way uh, in his book Life Together. He says this. Finally, one extreme statement must still be made without any platitudes and in all soberness. And when Bonhoeffer writes that, you better buckle up. Not considering oneself wise, but associating with the lowly means considering oneself the worst of sinners. You have to consider yourself the worst sinner. This arouses total opposition, not only from those who live at the level of nature, not only non-Christians, but also from Christians who are self-aware. And it, you may feel that. You're like, I'm, I'm not the worst Christian. Like, there's definitely, I mean, I'm not the worst sinner. There's definitely worse sinners than me. It sounds like an exaggeration, an untruth. Yet even Paul said of himself that he was the foremost, i.e. the worst of sinners, 1 Timothy 1.15. He said this at the very place in scripture where he was speaking of his ministry as an apostle. Paul didn't say that about his past. Right? He said, I am the chief of sinners now, currently, 
There can be no genuine knowledge of sin that does not lead me down to this depth. If my sin appears to me to be in any way smaller or less reprehensible in comparison with the sins of others, then I am not yet recognizing my sin at all. My sin is of necessity the worst, the most serious, the most objectionable. Here's why. Christian love will find any number of excuses for the sins of others. Only for my sin, there's no excuse whatsoever. That's why, right? I can see how you would do that. I see how that, man, your life is hard and there's, you can make all kinds of excuses for others. You don't know everyone's situation, but you know, you know your situation and you know what is inexcusable in you. Those who would serve others in the community must ascend all the way down to this depth of humility. How could I possibly serve other persons in unfeigned humility if their sins appear to me to be, more, appear to me to be seriously worse than my own? If I'm to have any hope for them, then I must not raise myself above them. Such service would be a sham. The gospel is the death knell, right? It's the, it's the, the nail in the coffin on all of our pride, on any self-righteousness that we have. Right, this gospel of grace that says, you are ungrateful. You are evil. And you know what you deserved? You deserve to be judged. But Christ was judged for you on the cross. You know what you deserved? To be condemned. But Christ was condemned for you on the cross. And now Romans 8.1 is gloriously true. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know what? You didn't deserve forgiveness. And Christ took your punishment so you could be forgiven and free. You know what? You deserved to have everything ripped away from you forever. And Christ came and he lost it all so he could give us everything in him. And when that gospel gets in our bones and not just something we assent to and think we're going to heaven, no, no, no. When it, when it informs our lives and our feelings and our thoughts and our words and our actions, then it opens us up. It makes us, we bloom like a flower. It makes us open-hearted people. How, how can I look at anyone and judge them after what I've done, after, after what I deserve? This gospel of grace is what we need. And it changes us. It's the only thing that can. And it can make us helpful. <laughs> it can make us helpful. How can we be helpful? How can we be helpful? Let's look at this last section, verse 41. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the splinter that's in your eye when you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your eye? Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye and then you will see clearly to take out the splinter in your brother's eye. Excuse me. What was Jesus saying here? We can be helpful. He wants us to be helpful. 
Right, well, well, okay, what's he saying? Well, it's pretty clear uh, parable, right? Uh, if you have something big in your eye, it's hard to get something small out of someone else's eye. Makes sense. We've all had something in our eye uh, and know how painful that is and how much precision is needed uh, to, to get it out. But, but the question is, what is it? What is the beam and what is the splinter? And commentators think different things. Some people say, well, this means uh, that, that you just need to examine yourself before you go to help someone else. Make sure you don't have a bigger version of the same sin, right? If I'm committing adultery, uh, then for me to go, hey, can I help you with your lust problem? Then that's, that's hypocritical. If I just have hurt, murdered someone out of anger and you, you know, have some road rage, then you know, how, how can, you know, can I help you with that? Well, of course, that's silly. That's hypocritical. But, but I think from the context, it means more than that, right? Because what he's been talking about this being an open-hearted person, not judging, not condemning, forgiving, giving. And I think what he's saying is the beam in your eye is the judgmental spirit, right? And so to, to be a helpful person, you have to get the beam out of your eye. You have to get the judgmental spirit out of your eye, Right? And so if you go to someone to, to help them and you have a judgmental spirit about it, then you are ridiculous. And that's what he's saying. I, I brought a prop. Actually, Steve Allen got me this prop after last service. Okay? Thank you. Jesus is hilarious, right? Uh, there's a beam in your eye, right? This isn't even a beam. This is a log, right? But okay, so let's say I don't notice this, right? I, I'm just... This is what it's like to preach with a self-righteous spirit, right? Uh, it's like this. And say, let's say I, I, I just, I can, you know, I'm here and I think like, man, Brandon, you know, in my great vision, I noticed that you have something small in your eye. Come over here. Let me help you with that, right? I'm like, oh, actually, out of my very exquisite periphery, I can see Jeff Manna right here. Jeff, come here. There's something in your eye, right? It, it's ridiculous, right? That's ridiculous. And that's what it is when we go to someone and, we, and I'm right. I know, the, I, know, I know this situation. I know what's wrong with this person. I can descend from my moral high ground and help them. You look like this. Right? This is what it means. That's what he's saying. And what's the problem with that? Well, the problem is, in the end of verse 42, you, you will see clearly to take out the splinter. You can't see clearly. <laughs> you can't see. If you, got, if you got a judgmental spirit, you can't see. If you're not open-hearted toward a person, you're not going to be able to help. You can't see. So how do we? How do we get the beam out? What can we do? Well, I, I think Paul gives us some help over in Galatians uh, 5. If you turn there, I think he's saying the same thing. The end of Galatians 5, as you know, uh, probably is about the fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit, starting in 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus, here we go, those who belong to Christ Jesus, right? Those who have a merciful, high God as their Father, you could say, have crucified the flesh, with its passions and desires, right? Of course, we have passions and desires that make us want to beat, want to judge, make us want to condemn, make us want, not want to give, not want to forgive people. Of course, we have those, and we crucify them. They're dead, they're gone, right? We put those things to death. That's one, we, we, we put our, those passions to death. And verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit, 
Right, so we're crucified with Christ. We're crucified those passions and desires. And now we are filled with the very presence of God. We're filled with the Spirit, who is the power of God, who gives, that makes this possible, right? Makes a helpful person actually possible if we walk by the Spirit who fills us. He were led by Him. Verse 26 Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. There's again the pride. Right, let's, like, that's, that's the thing you got to watch out for. Let's not become conceited. Don't, don't be jealous. Don't envy. Kill that stuff. Put that stuff away. That's not of the Lord. And then verse, verse uh, one of chapter six. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit. Okay, what's that? Who, who is that spiritual person because it's saying there, there are people who are qualified to help others and there are people who are not, right? The spiritual person is the one qualified to help someone caught in a wrongdoing. The unspiritual person is not. What, well, what is a spiritual person? Well, from what we just read, right? The fruit of the spirit, just t- talked about the fruit of the spirit. Those who have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Those who have walking in step with the spirit. Those who are not envying or, or being jealousy or being conceited, right? It's those who've taken the, the beam out of their eye. It's the open-hearted people. And those are the people who can restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you won't be tempted. You see the humility needed. Right? Pharisees can't do that. If you think you're better than someone, you can't do that. Carry one another's burdens in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Jesus wants us to be helpful to each other. He wants us to be helpful. In, in, the, uh, in the novel, in Les Mis, um, the, the priest, the, the bishop, is, uh, he's amazingly free, if you read it. Or even when, the, when it's found out before Valjean comes back, when it's found out that the silver is, is discovered, um, you know, everyone in his household kind of responds normally. They're like, oh, I can't believe it, that scoundrel, you know? And they're like, you know, all mad about it. And he took our silver and, and the, the bishop's kind of like, whose silver was it? You know, he's, he's just sort of happy and free. I mean, then, then when, when he comes back, he's able to be generous and he's able to give and, and he's really able to change this man's life with his generosity, with his grace. And, and the world will tell you, the world will tell you that there's freedom in money, there's freedom in power, there's freedom in self-expression, right? The, the, much of the church, sadly, will tell you there's freedom in, in judgment, there's freedom in being better than other people. But it's all a slavery, it's all a lie. The only freedom, the only freedom is that we follow our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us and we become like him. That we walk without, we're able to walk without judgment. What freedom, what freedom is that? That you, you never have to judge another person. You never have to have a judgmental spirit ever again. You never have to withhold forgiveness. You, you never have to wonder, should I give or should I not? No, no, just give generously. What, what, what does it say? Look at, look at the end. That verse, right, what, what does it say? Give and it will be given to you. A good measure. And then he just emphasizes this. P- 
pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus is like, this is the way to live, man. Like live this way and you'll experience the, the, the bounty of God. May God make us these kind of people. Oh, we need help. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being kind to the ungrateful and the evil. All of us sitting in this room. How could you love us when we did nothing to deserve it? You've been merciful. You've been kind. Would you make us the same? We, we surrender to you. We, we want to walk in step with the Spirit. We want to obey these things. We want to be really helpful. We want to let go of control and trust you. We don't know how, though, so often, in so many situations. We need wisdom. We need, we need help. So please help us. Give us power. We love you, Lord. And we ask this in, in the powerful name of Jesus, the only one who can help. Amen.